Hello and welcome to Castival. This is the podcast which brings on brilliant guests to pitch their dream music festival. My name is Matt Hoss and I'm the host, and my job is to guide you through their festival. Today's guest is a stand-up comedian, actor, improviser, and host of the Worst Foot Forward podcast. It's Ben. Uh, ben I'll try that again, sorry. It's uh, Ben <laughs> Van <Bell. laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just hit the wrong syllables there. <laughs> it's, it's easily done. It's my, one of my favourite ways to fail to be introduced is people call me Ban Van Velde, and it sounds like the start of a rally. I, I have also been, yeah, what do we want? Ban Vanderbilt, when do we want it? Now, all right, well, I'll leave the premises. <laughs> Tell you what, like, I, I hope, I, I'm going to have to try and cut that, but like, it's uh, what an introduction. And honestly, I feel kind of bad because I was so focused on getting all the other words right because <laughs> that's the only part of the whole thing where I have any script. <laughs> and then I was like, come on, don't mess it up, don't mess it up. And I fell at the final hurdle. Sorry, Ben. It's, it's right. Well, no, you know, it's when you've got a surname with three words in it is very much a steeplechase of a name it is <laughs> yeah. i i i have previously been introduced by um compares you like they freak out with my really not that difficult northern european name and i'm like god yeah. help you if you ever meet a sri lankan i imagine like ramesh doesn't want to come anywhere near you but yeah. um, one of them was freaking out about my name. It's like, right, Ben Vanderveld, Ben Vanderveld, and got on stage and went, "Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Veld Vanderben." <laughs> and that is that, that's the best porn name I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> it does. It does have. It's. It's a. That's a name that comes with its own handlebar moustache. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can see you. I can see you with that as well. It would suit you. Um, but well, welcome to Castable Podcast, or as I might introduce it, Castable Podcast. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the way we like to start off this podcast is, uh, so we're going to be talking about music and festival for the rest of the hour, and we're going to be talking uh, about your musical influences. But if someone were to ask you, what kind of music are you into? How do you typically respond to that question? Everything apart from country and western and opera, but also some opera and some country and western. Um, I love the continuous inflection all the way through that as well. Sometimes yeah. this and that. Well, uh, well, because you know, like opera is uh, opera and country western are two good comedy staples. Um, there's I can't remember whose quote it is. It's someone like Noel Coward who says. Um, Opera is when a fat woman is stabbed and instead of dying she sings about it for four hours. But <laughs> but you know, there you know, the, the the Pavarotti song from Italia nineteen ninety, that's a banger of a tune. Like you mm-hmm, can't absolutely. you can't deny that. And similarly Country Western is mostly awful, but Dolly Parton <laughs> is an absolute queen and uh Graham Parsons when he's not off his nut on heroin is also fantastic. <laughs> Actually no, I tell you what, I tell you what, I found no, I found I found the type of music that I'm that I'm not into because but basically this is a long way round of saying my musical taste is eclectic, but that is a <laughs> word which is both delightful and a real bell whiff alarm, isn't it? Like ec- 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 eclectic music taste comes with its own avocado smash smug smile, yeah. and no one no one needs to see that. But yeah, no, the stuff the stuff that I hate is dead-eyed soulless euro pop. And oh yeah, that's that's <laughs> awful. The, the the person in the world with the worst musical taste is my brother-in-law. Who oh is, really? He's a, he's a lovely man. He's a doctor. If you met him for more than five minutes, you'd think mm, probably shouldn't be. Like, <laughs> um, 
like lovely, lovely bedside manner, but you, you want more than that from a doctor. But because um, yeah, I've got good bedside manner, but I, don't let me near an operating table for the love of God. <laughs> you know what I mean? That that feels like a review from the Ember Fringe. Matt Hoss, lovely bedside manner. Three, Three people died during the show. Um, but yeah, no, like so. My when I when I uh, married my wife, her, her dad super into his music, and he. Uh, clearly had to try to raise two children who were into music and my wife my wife's approach to music is is it fun and bouncy if not i ain't interested um and yeah. uh which, yeah which and, I, and to be fair on the one side i appreciate that I, I, when i first met her and was like you mean you're not into music what, why have i fallen in love with a woman with no soul but yeah. um <laughs> But it's but it's a good barometer for for having a good night out. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, but at least she you know she can appreciate a good soon a good tune, and mm-hmm. occasionally there will be um, music that completely blindsides me that she's into. But her brother, um, when I first met him, was just enthusiastically playing me this sort of pound shop edm and at first i thought he was doing it to piss me off and i was like no you this really appeals to you i just i just couldn't fathom it but i i sometimes make terrible mistakes with my missus like when i we we went to latitude and there was a band there called the unthanks that i really wanted to see and the unthanks are two or maybe three sisters from the northeast of england who do Mm -hmm. incredible folk music and you can really hear their strong northumbrian accent and there is beautiful sort of colliery brass bands in a lot of it which as a middle class man from newcastle i love in a compensating (laughs) for my class guilt way um but um, I really wanted to see them. And only when I realised when we were packed in at the front, surrounded by folkies and barber jackets with wispy beards, while everyone else was off watching, I don't know, some fun bouncy pop, that that this was a poor decision for a Saturday night. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, she was justifiably furious with me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And like, it's always... I don't know. It's always so hard to kind of uh, show a uh, your partner that, like music you're really into as well, especially taking to a live show where it's kind of when they're obviously not that into it as much as you are as well. Because I used to, I used to go to gigs by myself quite a lot. Well, look, mm-hmm. until the pandemic as well. Like so, yeah, um, I, I used to go all the time. But like when when you bring someone that you uh, that you love to kind of be like, oh, this is my vibe, and they're just not into it. It's kind of like, oh, this is soul destroying. It's 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 a it's 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 a it's a hard sell, isn't it? It, no, it really, it really is. It really is. And because um, one of one of the two main pieces of music I was brought up on is through my my dad. I grew up with jazz, um, mm-hmm. and my dad's my dad's taste in jazz is like, pretty good. The problem with my dad is that he cannot tell the difference between absolute titans of the genre and yeah. lift music easy listening, <laughs> like. In 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 yeah. my in my dad's eyes, Ella Fitzgerald and Perry Como are on the same level. And yeah, and hopefully jo- they're playing at your festival as well. Um, mate, Perry Como is clearing out the long drop toilets. That's what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, but oh, um, so I brought with that that with him, and then with my brother, I was brought up with reggae and dub. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. My my brother made the most incredible musical turn you can imagine. He when I was growing up, because my big my big brother's thirteen years older than me, 
mm-hmm. because I am a reconciliation baby. Um, <laughs> oh, that explains so much. <laughs> yeah, it, no, read it, May. I uh, was, my parents split up at the end of the 70s, got back together again at the beginning of the 80s, and I was the product of that. So I am quite entitled. Um, as the, it's like, what, you mean I'm the, I'm, I'm the glue that holds your marriage together? Yes, that's right, here I am. Um, yeah, when I grew up, my brother was into, was into metal. Yes. Um, like, cause you know, that's the right year he grew up in. Uh, again, the good stuff from Van Halen and Iron Maiden mm-hmm. and Guns N' Roses to, uh, uh, Saxon and Whitesnake. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you or your listeners have heard of the band Whitesnake, but uh, oh, yes. all they need to know about Whitesnake is that Whitesnake <laughs> is also an anagram of shit wank. <laughs> I actually saw White Snake at my first ever music festival. It downloaded no it in two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were below Aerosmith. Oh, was it below Aerosmith? No, below Def Leppard, I think. And uh, uh-huh. yeah, it was it was too saucy for me. I was I was a very young boy. Do you know what I mean? It was too much. Too, too much me, but... saucy. Oh, Matt <laughs> that's Hoss, my you're review. S- you're such a dad. <laughs> No, to be fair, all the dads were enjoying the sauce as well. It's yes. Like, uh, yeah, it was, it was good. It was, it was, it, I enjoyed it, but I also think if I went back now, I think I might. I enjoyed it at the time, let's say it like that. That's um, There's certain bands I liked as a teenager, which I may not enjoy as much these days. But no, that's that's fine. We all, we, now, what what the thing is, what I most like when I look back at teenage bands is either, either bands that I pretended to be better than when I was mm-hmm. a teenager, I mean, for me, as somebody you know, who's into, I was gonna say, proper music, but you know, uh, not, not. Oh God, see, it's hard not to say I'm not into your mainstream business without sounding like yeah. uh, a yeah. music Nazi, which is quite difficult for me as a little Jewish man. <laughs> I, so I'm, yeah. I'm going to say I'm a member of the music Mossad instead. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, I so the thing that the, the stuff that I've rehabilitated from my teenage years is stuff like the Spice Girls and Robbie Williams and mm-hmm. Britney because I'm like yeah they're bangers of course they are yeah. um, mm-hmm. but uh, in the same way that when I when I, but, but I, what I like is the stuff uh, like the other the other thing that I've rehabilitated as a teenager from a teenager was when I was a teenager all my mates were into professional wrestling and I was like no I'm into um, books and French existentialism and <laughs> what why is no one sleeping with me and. <laughs> Now I'm like, is there any greater piece of entertainment on earth than a Royal Rumble? It is yeah. off the hook. But the stuff that I love is teenage. It's like, is is this, this? I still I have guilty teenage pleasures. Like I, they they are not welcome at my festival. But yes, yeah, I, I've still got quite a soft spot for Cooler Shaker. More than that, Matt, I've still got mm-hmm. a soft spot for their second album. <laughs> Not- well, but I, I think you make a really important distinction there because there's certain things that you enjoy listening to, but wouldn't quite put in your dream festival. And I think there's a nice distinction between the two as well, because uh, yeah, like uh, I think you, the same kind of uh, music I don't mind listening to if someone puts it on, but I wouldn't go on my way to listen to it as well. Yeah, well, there's music. There's there's because the beautiful thing about music now with Spotify playlists is you can curate it even more. Like obviously, when I was growing up, it was all about curating mixtapes and discovering mm-hmm. things on, on CD and through my, my dad and my brother's vinyl and then the the fun and excitement of peer-to-peer downloading on LimeWire. 
where <laughs> that, 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 but that was genuinely eye-opening because I remember the thing that really, whilst I had my, my dad and my brother's musical taste, which helped, helped me learn stuff, more of my brother in a minute, don't make me forget that. And, um, but, but I, I learned to build up my music collection from copies of Q magazine in 1997, 1998, and they published the top 100 albums and singles of all time. And then they did another mm. issue about the top British albums. And I sort of looked at it like it was the gospel and was like, this is, and it's, and it's quite something to buy Dark Side of the Moon and be like, well, I've been told that this is one of the most incredible things ever, rather than rather than buying it in 1973 going, I wonder what this is, I'll skin up a joint and, oh my God, my reality has been realigned. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, so, but, so I, I spent a lot of time um, ticking off stuff that I, th I, I thought you had to listen to, mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. So it's more like a checklist, like a, um, a, a tick box exercise rather than an exploration, a personal exploration. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I enjoyed it and I discovered lots of stuff. And the thing that uh, things really started to get interesting when downloading kicked in, where suddenly yeah. the, all the stuff that would only be available on bootlegs, which, you know, is a 15, 16 year old in Newcastle, I had no real idea of how to get. Suddenly yeah. online, I was like, what? I can. Jimi Hendrix did a version of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and he played it live. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And and suddenly my hard drive just got full of all of these incredible knockoffs and cover versions and alternate takes that, mm -hmm. you know, in any other time in music listening history would have taken you years to accrue. And I got them in three months. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And uh, yeah, I feel quite privileged as a person that really, when I started exploring music, Spotify was already a thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, and I, so, yeah, so like 10 years ago, like, uh, when and yeah it's it, you kind of forget how easy it is because i've uh, a lot of uh, my my people of my parents generation had to like go vinyl hunting and stuff like that and uh, yeah i just find it uh it's just so much easier now and uh yeah and it's yeah but i also like the idea like with spotify it can also tell you your taste as well so if you like a certain band it'll put some another song on as well and i like that i think my relationship with Spotify is uh, one of the strongest uh, relationships I've got in my life right now. So, uh... <laughs> yeah, no, I I have become increasingly impressed with its algorithms, and I've just I've 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 discovered lots of interesting things on there. But obviously now, you know, uh, supporting Joe Joe Rogan and his uh, bro alt right yeah. fascism is a little problematic. Yes, but... which, and. And for sure with uh, Spotify as well, like it's a, uh, uh, the CEO has uh, recently said uh, that um, musicians aren't making enough music and they should do it once a year and stuff like that, which is uh, not very, uh, yeah, it's, uh, no, it's not very appreciative of the uh, of the musicians. It's, it's, I mean, that's a classic corporate approach of like, oh, if you don't feel like you get enough money, you can just make more music. It's like, it's not yeah. that simple. You don't yeah. churn this shit out, you husk of a human being. <laughs> Before before we move on, I do need to tell you the flip side of my brother's story because it will it will inform the festival. So because yeah, grew up in the eighties, long hair, leather jacket, Eddie the monster from Iron Maiden pictures on his wall. He then mm. went to university in Birmingham, and where he lived, uh, he lived right amongst the West Indian community, and literally overnight it was all about reggae, which and I just I just love that flip from Devil Horns hair metal to. Uh, uh, yeah. Listening to um, 
the, the favorite music music of rasters it's wonderful and so yeah so <laughs> I, I i grew up in uh both an oral and um uh what's the word i'm looking for olfactory thug at his house uh listening to all sorts of music that i didn't quite understand but like the sound and smell of yeah, I'd say it's a nice, rich uh, uh, cultural hot pot you got there as well. Different kinds of you got all types of music, uh, apart from country and uh, you know, and opera, but which is like you know you don't need to go there. But uh, um, but yeah. So before we move on to the next section, have you ever wanted to be a musician? Oh, absolutely! It's the thing I want to be. I don't want to be a comedian. I want to be the the lead singer of a rock and roll band. Yes, like you look, you have that look as well. You look like you could smash it. I mean, it's been badly cultivated over a number of decades. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't grow up with that look. I grew up looking like I should be a chartered accountant from Guildford. But yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe lots of musicians are like that. Yeah, like don't get me wrong, I very much enjoy being a comedian. But mm-hmm. if you, if you, if you gave me a choice of musician or comedian, it hands down musician. I would, like, obviously, I'd love to be one of the greats selling out big old stadiums. But if I was just a really good musician who played sessions, yeah. I'd be, I'd be, do you know what? I would think I'd probably be happy being the best wedding band in, in my mm-hmm. price bracket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you only do covers of, uh, uh, Europop. That's, that's, yeah. that's the deal. <gasps> Oh, oh, you you've absolutely nailed the evil twisted genie who have your wishes my command. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well I think it's now time to set up camp. Brilliant. Hello and welcome to season five of Castable. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It really means the world to me. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please make sure to give it five stars on Spotify or Apple or whatever platform that you're using and give it a nice review. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend, share it. If you want to have bonus content and financially support the podcast, why don't you become a Patreon for a little pound a month where you get to have bonus podcasts, videos, and so much more. Best way to support the podcast is keep on listening to the show and enjoy the rest of the season. Castable, if you can hear me, I want you to sing along. Go for it. Before you can have your dream festival, we need to talk about the admin behind your festival. So, Ben, what is the name of your festival? Well, I think it's going to be fairly straightforward, and I'm going to call it Vanderfest. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I've discovered through doing five Edinburgh shows that my name, unlike, say, Joe Lysitz, is fairly unpunnable. (laughs) <laughs> the the only one that I can come up with and I didn't even come up with it a mate came up with it and I basically need to write a show funny enough to deserve this show title is Vanderlaff Generator yes that is very good it can be very yeah I like that a lot yeah but I but that's that's basically if if you don't live up to the to that name then you are you are getting it? in a, it is a lot of pressure but I like, because I like, I went to um, uh, this great little festival. So y- years and years ago, before I did stand up, I used to be a street charity fundraiser. Um, and okay. mm-hmm. you, you and your listeners may judge me however you feel, but it basically taught me how to compare. I would, I'd oh. essentially go out, I'd MC the high street. 
Mm-hmm. And that's but amazing. Were, yeah, yeah. Well, because 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 the, the, basically the bad ones are the ones who do star jumps at you or sexually harass you oh or God, yeah. guilt trip you. But the good ones are genuinely warm, inspiring human beings. And they would. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a mate of mine called Tom who was a proper sort of. Um, modish guy with big curly hair, triple denim, fake diamond earrings. He was, he was a musician and he was this mystical guy. Could have been 30, could have been 50. And a good day on the street, you would get three, four signups. Tom would often oh, wow. come home with 10, 11, 12 because he just had this twinkly mm-hmm. musician's Irish charm that he would do it. And he he set up, he was part of this festival that I went to called Tone Fest. And it was a Mm -hmm. guy who had decided he wanted Dodgy to play at his birthday, so hired a field and asked them, and they said yes. And uh, was it, no, it might have been Dodgy or it might have been Baby Bird. But either way, it was a a Britpop era three-hit wonder. And he invited me uh, to come and uh, be a host for a stage there three, four years on, when it had basically become... Uh, a regular fixture and there was only about 500 people there three or four stages the stage i was in charge of the uh, where instead of where people would stand there was just loads of old armchairs and sofas and and it was set up like a living room with the three ducks on the wall behind us and it was Mm -hmm. um it was lovely so if and and the guy who did it was called tony so if he can get away with tone fest then i can get away with vanderfest but Vanderfest is strong, man. I like that a lot. It's 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 a good one. Uh, and um, so, uh, whereabouts geographically would you place your festival? Right now, I've got two thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. One thought. So, when, I, when I've been to Glastonbury, um, what I've loved about Glastonbury is this notion that essentially they build a small town, which yeah. is occupied for five days. Uh, which appears and then disappears. And Glastonbury is unlike any festival I've ever been to. There really is an astonishing um, atmosphere there where it's not just all rules are off. It's that we're all going to be our best, most generous selves. And it re- it really does occur. And it reminds mm-hmm. me of, um, uh, now this is going to get a little bit wanky, but I remember when I studied history, reading about things called... and. Parts of the country that were called something like, um, no, they weren't called liberal boroughs, but basically there were places which had their own little systems of law or had freedoms from certain bits of the king's law. This is like in Henry VIII's time. So I would partly want to like pick a bit of where I'm from, like Newcastle or like Tynanweir or Northumberland, and basically declare it. When I say declare it lawless, I don't mean in a bullshit libertarian way, <laughs> but like happily lawless. Yeah. Like we we so we're, we're going to set up a little sort of like commune Eden project somewhere on the northeast coast, where yeah. all bets are off and it turns into like a Willy Wonka factory musical <laughs> movable feast. So you can lick the walls of the festival. It takes yeah. like now. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to want to lick, lick the ceilings <laughs> as all the perspiration has raised up. But when I started I mean, thinking of that, I thought, yeah. no, I thought, no, we should go bigger. So I thought instead, what I'd like to do is take over a micro nation. So somewhere oh, wow. like Andorra or Liechtenstein or yeah, one God. of the tiny little Pacific islands, because you know, because there's a there's a festival in. 
I think it's in. It might be Dubrovnik or it might be Ljubljana, where the, mm. the the city has got a castle in it, and basically the whole castle is taken over, and all of the road leading up to the keep, and it's a nine day festival. Oh my god! So uh, in nine days, is a significant amount for a festival as well. Because that's, that's <laughs> marathon, isn't it? Like you've you're got right. You got to do that. yeah. I don't think I've ever had. I don't think I could have fun for nine days if that's the case. If you know what I mean, it's too much pressure. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you've got it. You've, it's it, it's all about peaks and troughs. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think what a uh, two two great ideas there as well. So if you, uh, uh, yeah, so micronation, but also kind of do it your own vibe as well. But uh, um, so, uh, how many people would you like at your festival? How many? Uh, what would be the ideal amount? Oh, that's a brilliant question. Now, I, I mean, I'm torn between... Cause I've been at either end. Tonefest was 500. That was a delight. It, um, uh, equally, I, I, I loved... I love at Glastonbury. It's that many people and very few people are dicks. Yes, so absolutely. If, if I can have 175,000, but they're all canny... Then, <laughs> yeah, that's grand. And I mean, if, if we're gonna if we're gonna host it in a micronation, which I think we will, because it's gonna have better weather than the Northumbrian coast, then I think we should treat it as the sort of Independence Day celebrations of the newly coined Vandervania. And yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> so this this festival will be the, the 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 inaugural festival of it, but it'll be celebrated every year as sort of like an Independence Day festival. Well, you know, I, I, oh wow, that's uh, so I like it because you, you're kind of uh, you're gunning for a second episode on this podcast. I like it; it's good. Uh, um, repeat festival every year, but um, yeah, but yeah, I, I think that's that's really cool, and uh, uh, and I I would like the I would like how you would know how to policy if someone's canny or not. Like, uh, is there is a certain stri- like stringency to kind of go? Okay, you're going to do a test beforehand. Uh, you know, what would you do in the situation? And uh, yeah, oh, it's like a personality test. Like, Person- I mean, personality test makes it sound a little bit like it's Scientology, <laughs> or or, or yeah. indeed a little bit. But basically, it's basically a citizenship test. But instead yes. of going, do you know who the Queen was in 1684, and what are pubs opening hours in Romford? You basically have to go right. Um, oh gosh, I don't know. Like ju- ju- just a series of moral quandaries, but about being a good bloke or a good woman or a good person, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I, you know what? That's good. I like that a lot. And um, so, uh, is a camping at your festival, or if it's a micronation, would it be different? <laughs> I mean, my my head has just gone wattle and daub huts, but <laughs> um, no, no. There's got there's got to be camping. There's what what I would like if it's Listen, if it's a micronation, we spare no expense. The exchequer is paying for it because we're a micronation. We're going to be a tax haven, but we're going to be a, we're going to be a tax haven only for um, like NGOs and green <laughs> energy yeah, and okay. uh, like yeah. we a weed edibles companies and like all the, all the good guys. So we will we will use the money that's put into us and then we'll invest it in camping. And it is my pledge to you, the future people of Vandervania, that your campsites will be as good as the VIP campsites at Glastonbury. Because here's the thing, if you've ever performed at a festival, once you go performer, you never go back. 
<laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a different different kettle of fish. Um, but I also I can I I think you're kind of building like a literal like utopia here. It sounds wonderful. Can I can mm-hmm. I can I be part of it? Am I canny enough to be part of it? Mate, of course you are. Of course you are. You are. You're warm. You're kind. You're a vegan, but you're not a dick about it. You're very yes. welcome. Yes, past it, aced it. Yes, I'm gonna smash it now. Um, all right. Well, I think we know uh, a lot of uh, background about Vanderfest, but I think it's time to know who's playing at the inaugural festival. Castable, are you ready? Here we go. So before we go uh, further, is it three nights festivals, or do you have any variations on that? Oh gosh, um, I hadn't really thought about that too much. But I, th- I do you know what? I I do really like the um, schedule of Glastonbury, the way that it's essentially because Glastonbury, from memory, it's but it's broadly speaking, it's really it's Friday to Sunday. But mm-hmm. there's shit going in on Wednesday and Thursday. And if you want to pitch up in a camper van, in a hippie tippy, uh, mm-hmm. hippie tippy, a hippie tippy, <laughs> hippie tippy. It's hard to pronounce things, isn't it? It does. And no, I'll be honest, I, I, you'd have thought I'd have put those two words together in my life before. And I have not. And I won't <laughs> be doing it again. But I like the fact <laughs> that there are some people who are like, they turn up early for Glastonbury and Michael and Emily Evis are like, you're with the band. Come on in. So yeah. And, you 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 turn up early for that, and then again on a on on a Monday morning when most people go back to their jobs, there are still people who hang around and they help clean up, and there are other little after parties go on. So I, I feel like an a, 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 a sort of like the Queen's birthday, an official three, an unofficial mm-hmm. five, and a casual ten. Yeah, <laughs> an extremely relaxed three hundred and sixty-five. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the motto of Vandervania. Yeah. <laughs> um, on our, uh, on yeah, our flag you know certain um uh nations have like images on their flags like lebanon's got a cedar tree and mm-hmm. uh, i think mozambique worryingly has an ak-47 well vandavania <laughs> will just have a lilo <laughs> and a doobie yeah that's it yeah that's it. <laughs> so when you start off your festival who was the first act on on officially on the friday who was the first act you've booked Oh, the first act I've booked. Um, let, now, I do, sorry, I, I realise it's not Mozambique. Oh, no, it is Mozambique. Mozambique does have an AK-47. Good. Glad I was right on that. Um, can I just ask, when you say first act I've booked, do you mean the first headliner, or do you mean who is literally opening the festival? So who is literally opening up your festival? Huh. So here's the thing, because I don't know about you, but I've never been to a festival where... Um, I've been there for 12, 12 p.m. midday pyramid stage. You know, you always sort of like get your tent set up or, mm. or I mean, on occasion it's get there, put the tent on the floor, stick a tent peg through it, go off into the festival, come back later, hammered going, I've got to put up a tent now and my tent yeah. is already morphing before me into various different psychedelic creatures. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a rookie mistake, mate, rookie mistake. It, real rookie mistake. Um, 
I so I'm always fascinated by the uh, first band of the day, and I lo- I love a Glastonbury the first band of the day on Pyramid Stage. Um, they often go for something like a a bit off kilter and experimental, and I particularly like the Sunday morning bookings when they have like um, a, a dance company or. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or the thing that I'm going to go for to start is um, a gospel choir. Oh I think, wow! I think we're gonna have, we're gonna we're gonna have a gospel choir, and they are gonna sing a mixture of traditional, you know, gospel spirituals because they're all absolute bangers. Of course, mm-hmm. oh happy day! I mean, you know, when Jesus walks, sure, everyone can take a constitutional. I'm 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 a big JC fan in theory, if not in theology, but. <laughs> Um, but I'd like them to also do gospel covers of, you know, great hits over the yes. years. Oh my God, that'd be so... That, honestly, I'd pay so much money to see that. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, I did, going back to the, the charity fundraising thing, when I was um, fundraising somewhere in Essex one day, and it was still always always quite a challenging pitch there, and one day, it was, must have been the run-up to Christmas, there were buskers, and the buskers were a gospel choir, and oh the God. change in mood on that high street was astonishing. Yeah, like for sure. on, like honestly, it was it, it was the easiest afternoon's work I've ever done because people were literally chipping over to me, going, "Hey, is the world a beautiful place?" No, mate, we're in Essex on a high street, but nevertheless, I will take your money. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I uh, I think uh, it does lift the mood so much as well, and it's quite a galvanizing and. Uh, uh, it kind of unites a lot of people uh, acquire as well. It gets and also, you you kind of for your Friday your first act done. You want people who inspire a lot of energy, and a lot of people go for quite fast bands or quite uplifting bands. But you've gone for a different direction, and it's it, it kind of fits with your theme quite nicely. Yeah, and they will. And also, there's and this is something that I have forgotten through lockdown. And also, as you'll know, this being a stand up, I I don't. I haven't got to go to many gigs in the past decade because I'm working four or five <laughs> nights a week. But the yeah. the the power of watching live music, whether it's played and or sung, is astonishing. And mm-hmm. I remember going to see I can't even remember if it was a band or a club night, but with my mate Loz from university. And Loz is about eighty percent deaf. So for her mm-hmm. to enjoy the music, she literally had to dry hump the speakers and <laughs> Um, just yeah. feel the vibrations, and you, I realize that's that's the thing that makes live music so good. I, you know, Brian Wilson had yeah. it right. It's the good vibrations, and you, <laughs> when when um, when someone sings, sure you enjoy the, the the note and the pitch, but it is the vibration they're making in their body coming out through the air, hitting your body that has an actual physical effect on you. And it's the same with people making sounds with their instruments. So I think lit- uh, uh, a gospel choir literally sending out good vibrations has got to be got to be what we did go for. That's that's a really uh, um, wonderful point. And uh, that's the difference. Between, uh, and yeah, I think that applies to any performing arts as well, that vibration um, hmm. and aura uh, of being in the room is so much different from, I, I think we've all noticed it with Zoom gigs as well. Like uh, it, it's different because like there's no, you don't get that same vibration. You know, you're not in the same room as uh, the people. It's different. You, you're kind of disconnected. But, uh, but anyway, um, after your gospel choir, who do you have on? Oh gosh, right. Um so what is so is so the gospel choir that I played for an hour. Um okay, then we need to how can I put it? Um 
lobbing a Molotov cocktail here <laughs> because like I, I do often like uh, bands that sort of like start their live sets of three and four minutes of something enjoyable but a bit soft and then bang first chord yeah. and one of the best and most explosive party bands I've ever seen um, is a Gogol Bordello. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, so quite an esoteric act, but how would you describe their act to uh, to people who've never listened to if them before? If you've never heard of them, they are, they're from New York, but they're fronted by a guy who is, he might be Russian or he might be Ukrainian, and mm-hmm. they are gypsy punk. Mm-hmm. Which again, I know for some people are thinking, "Oh, that's a, that's a sure ditch red flag." But trust me, better than it sounds. <laughs> and so that their lead singer is this six foot four pipe cleaner man with a winning Soviet moustache. Yeah, they they have punk guitar, a fiddle, an accordion, and um, there's there's something about that slightly syncopated. Eastern European drinking song that clearly hits me in my kosher feels, but yeah. because it's it's that plus the energy of the clash is mm-hmm. off the scale. And I th- th- they're someone they're one of the bands I've been to see where I, I I think I saw them at the Hammersmith Apollo. It was either there or Shepherd's Bush. And the the minute they started, you could see the shockwave of mm-hmm. the mosh pit start up and it was such a joyous friendly mm. warm playful mosh pit <laughs> yeah and uh and the, honestly though like i i've i'm a massive fan of punk i've always been a massive fan of metal uh and obviously a massive fan of white snake too <laughs> no joking <laughs> um yeah like uh, i've i've kind of grown up in mosh pits and people always see mosh pits are hard and aggressive and sometimes they can be uh, but also uh, a lot of them which i've been in have been quite uni- uh, like unifying quite uh quite pleasant and the whole that the kind of unwritten rule of a mosh pit, if someone falls down, immediately pick them up, if you know what I mean. And that's, uh, and well, firstly for safety, but also just because the community cares about each other and, like, we want to look out for everyone as well. Yeah, so it's, of it's course. A nice My favourite mosh pit that I ever saw was um, when I was at university. I went to go see uh, a ska punk band. They might have been Sponge, who wrote yeah. the famous ditty Kicking Pigeons in the Park. Um <laughs> And uh, my mate Craig, who was love, love, lovely Christian chap, um, like literally, tell you, he's a Christian who's into metal, and you're like, I know exactly. I'm sure you can all picture him. Yes, but we already. got there. We all got the pints in, and Craig then pulled out his gig bandana with the sanctity of a priest bringing forth a communion, tied it around his head, looked at us both and went, let's rock, ran into yeah. the mosh pit, and then 20 seconds later came out going, ow, 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 done my ankle. Yeah. And... <laughs> oh, bless. Just glorious. Have you ever done any crowd surfing, Ben? Uh, a little. When, uh, gosh, probably my third or fourth gig I ever went to see in London, I went to go see Reef at the electric yes. ballroom and i'm i'm a good size for crowd surfing uh mm-hmm. because you know only five foot five easy to be picked up they were supported by the way by a um before before a got noticed for their one good song and went commercial and went awful uh before that anyway if you don't know a it's sort of like um surf rock harmonies with mid-90s rock that basically they they saw where the new metal wind was blowing and followed it. But before they did that, 
which is a shame. Um, the new metal wind is something not to be trusted. For sure. it, re- it, it really isn't. It really isn't. I, sh- I should point out, I forgot to mention it earlier, whilst both country and western and and opera have redeeming features, new metal has zero redeeming features. <laughs> new- but Limp Biscuit, dude. I do not negotiate with terrorists, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, you know what, that's fair news. That's fair news. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for doing that. Um, hey, just for the record, I don't like Limp Bizkit. There we go. Sorry, I, I, I have to say that after every uh, every time. <laughs> I, I can't remember who described them as this, but someone described, um, uh, God, what's he called? Fred Durst as an absolute athlete of a musician. And that really <laughs> just nails him for me. Yeah. Um, just, just terrible, terrible, humorless pap. Um, yeah. But yeah, but I, My... I went, to, went to go see Reef and just a guy who I'd never met before took one look at me and went, you are going up. And he grabbed me by the scruff of my shirt and threw me onto the crowd. Oh, God. And yeah, it's uh, it's quite terrifying. And also, it's kind of like uh, I've been at the front for like uh, like a download fest and that, and as a teenager. And for one year, I think it's 2010, maybe 2011, um, I was at the front all day and like literally like for a five finger death punch. And if you never heard of five finger death punch, they are exactly what they sound like on the tin. And, uh, mm-hmm. and they are, uh, yeah. And like literally just people, a waves of people just going over the top of me. I got kicked in the back of the head, like so much. I had to spend half the gig crouched down to avoid uh, crowd surfers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, we, we've had uh, the mosh bits of Gogo Bordello, but after that, who have we got? Well, because this is still day one, and I've thought um, the way I'm going to curate this for your listeners, because we're just talking about the main stage here, but obviously the beauty of, say, Glastonbury and all festivals is you you wander around the festivals uh, and see the different stages. And I, I love that at Glastonbury because you just walk past and go, who's that? Oh, Supergrass. Oh, well, I wouldn't normally go and see them, but fuck it. Let's have half an hour of Supergrass. Yes. Um, yeah. um, so I'm going to take you around some of the different stages of my festival, if that's all right. Yeah. Please do. So I think what I would next like is Sister Rosetta Tharp. Um, mm-hmm. And Sister Rosetta, if you don't know her, is one of the people who actually created rock and roll. Because, oh, um, really? yeah, it it wasn't Elvis, guys. It was. Um, <laughs> this, this is one of the things. What wasn't Elvis? Wasn't even Chuck Berry. Um, it was. It was this incredible woman. Um, and if you there's there's a particular video which you should look up on YouTube, um, which is um, it's when Sister Rosetta first came to... I don't know when she first came, but when she came to England. And she, it's in Manchester in 1964. And she looks mm-hmm. incredible. She's got the same sort of physique as Ella Fitzgerald, so like quite a big, sturdy black woman. She's wearing a big fur coat and holding the sort of guitar that you would expect to see around Angus Young's shoulders. Okay, and yeah. she is playing in a train station in Manchester, and she is on one side of the platform, and on the other side of the platform, there are people on. Um, uh, it, it, there's an audience sat in seats, and mm. so one of our stages is going to be that train platform with Sister Rosetta playing on it, and oh, wow, she yeah. absolutely rocks! Like she, she, like she. She's got the voice. If you if you looked at her, you'd be like, yeah, obviously you're going to have a banging soul and rock and roll voice. But mm-hmm. she can tear up that guitar like the best of them. 
I'm, I'm actually just watching because I don't know Sister Rosetta Fort, but um, I uh, I'm just I'm watching that video from Manchester, and it looks so cool as well. It looks so, and it's such a, a dramatic um, it's a dramatic gig because she's on one side of the platform, everyone else is on the other side, and she is rocking out. It's fucking cool, mate. It's really yeah. cool. That's so nice. She's going to be there, and I think what uh, on, on that stage because obviously there's a huge history of train songs. Um, you know, um, uh, Stop That Train by Bob Marley and the Wailers and uh, Folsom Prison Blues and, um, oh, God, what's the early Elvis one? Um, oh, that's really bad. I should know that. Anyway, th- there's an enormous history of rock and roll and bluegrass yes, and uh, blues that's related to trains. Yeah, so I think I think we'll just have train songs on that stage. <laughs> um, <and laughs> train stage. The train stage. And obviously... Um, as a palate cleanser between each uh, set that's on, you'll have the Thomas the Tank Engine theme tune in full. <laughs> because with Ringo Starr, <laughs> with Ringo Starr, I mean that theme tune is an absolute banger. It's an absolute banger for two reasons: one, cracking sort of um, uh, boogie woogie roly poly piano, and also. It's four and a half minutes long and has at least two key changes. I imagine at the end of the Sister Rosetta Tharp's gig just being like, uh, thank you, good night. Guitar solo and goes, it's such a massive tone shift. Yeah, I think it would work beautifully. I don't know, maybe what we should have is that each new person who comes on has to play their version of the Thomas the Tank Engine theme tune. Yes, that sounds great. <laughs> there, um, there is uh, there's a great YouTube video of bands playing metal tunes on early learning center equipment, <laughs> and, like yeah. kill, killing in the name of on a tiny tots guitar is an absolute oh, delight. That's that's great. Um, so, do you have anyone else for your train stage, or what other stages do you have? So, other stages. So, obviously. Sister Rosetta is no longer with us. So a couple of other stages, which will contain mostly people who are no longer with us. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to bring the Beatles back together. And quite simply, uh, the, the, I'm going to make them work hard. And they're used to it from their hours and hours of gigs at um, uh, in Hamburg. Um, mm-hmm. My One of my favourite things that I did at the start of lockdown was I listened to every single Beatles album from the start all the way through to the end and I Mm -hmm. live tweeted it. It took a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get the Beatles back and they are going to start uh, with track one, side one of Please Please Me and they're going to play all the way through to get back on let it be and as they go through it they're going to change costumes they're going to change facial hair it's yeah yeah. um and the backdrop is going to change behind them and when they get to let it be they're going to go all the way back to the beginning oh my god oh my god that's so good (laughs) so it's kind of like uh it's kind of like oh i'm really tired it's like no stop it get back on stage put that handlebar mustache on and that that the sergeant pepper's outfit you gotta do it now come on mate exactly exactly so we're gonna we're gonna play them into the ground 
I also would like, I would love, like, uh, as I say, it's kind of cyclical. So, like, uh, they go from um, go from a letter B back to please, please me. <laughs> and, like, obviously, uh, at the end of the, uh, well, at the start of the 70s when they broke up, uh, they uh, they all have beards and long hair. And I imagine just have to shave their heads, like, <laughs> a mid, a mid thing. All right, go back to please, please me. Put on the grey suits. Come on, lads. Yeah, well, no, maybe what it is is that you, you shave all the beards from letter B off and then you you plant them in the ground and a new beetle grows. So it's a bit like, um, yeah. uh, what's in, a bit like, you know, have you ever seen the film The Prestige? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, where, yeah, where they're just, he just grows loads of people. So you just grow loads of beetles. Yeah. And, and, and you're right that it's cyclical because I've been listening to, um, uh, over lockdown, the, uh, I Am The Egg Pod, which mm-hmm. uh, is a, deep dive into the Beatles where a guest will pick either a Beatles album or one created by the Beatles after they split up or one of the knockoff American ones. And mm-hmm. it's a brilliant podcast. I will I will happily talk about the Beatles for days and days and days. But they're, they're one of those bands and artists like the other obvious ones are people like Dylan, Bob Marley, who you can, you can just Bowie, listen to nothing but them. Um, yeah, I, and I mean, and the difference is, at first I thought, hey, maybe we could do it for a few artists. Maybe we could have Bowie starting out with, um, I mean, his first time was called David Bowie because it takes him three albums to get the Space Oddity. But we could have him going all the way through from start to end. But you're like, no, no, he's got to start in 1971, and he has to fucking stop in 1983. <laughs> and, yeah, and then, and then he could like have a biscuit and a cup of tea, and maybe come back to us in the early 2000s, mate. <laughs> When did you start listening to the Beatles and what attracted you first to the Beatles and uh, beyond that? And uh, it, do you like all that output as well? Do you like uh, they start off with bubblegum pop and go into more serious and psychedelic territories? They are the most consistently and unquestionably inventive and sonically creative musical group of all time. And anyone who disagrees with that objective fact needs to be flung into the sea. <laughs> I am willing to accept that musical taste is subjective on many things, but on this is a sort of biblical fact that you could bend an iron rod around my faith in it. They are off the scale inventive and talented, and I and I love the I love the depth in so many of their songs and their lore and their lives. And there's there's something about that and early rock and roll that attracts me that that it 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 amazes me that in in 1955 when when nascent rock and roll turned up no no one had done it before eab was groundbreaking like yeah there's there's a story i read uh um paul mccartney talking about when he was in the quarry men um in 57 58 with john and george and he was and maybe he's he's telling a, a nice fun story that didn't really happen but he was like well we knew e and we knew A, and we heard there was someone across Liverpool that knew B7. So we all got on the bus and we went over to learn the chord B7. We're like, oh, <laughs> no, I see. But there was, there's, there's, there's something biblical about Elvis and Chuck Berry and Sister Rosetta and Buddy Holly and Johnny Cash and the Beatles forging out this, this um, virgin land that has never been stepped on before and now everything that we listen to now as great as so much modern music is it's just echoes of it and with the Beatles mm. they did it in eight years mm-hmm. all and in eight years transformation, isn't it? right yeah getting from like 
just getting from Please Please Me to Rubber Solo Revolver is pretty fucking impressive. But mm-hmm. then getting from that, or getting all the way to Abbey Road and Let It Be, and it's interesting what you say about it being cyclical, because it is, because you, you listen to Let It Be, and when they're not having a piss and a moan and an argue, a lot of it is harking back to their really early Hamburg days, so it is nicely cyclical. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 so nourishing. It's I I firmly believe that they are on a level with Shakespeare. The reason mm-hmm. the the reason why people go back to Shakespeare is with him. It's not for the plots. His plots are fine. It's 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 the language and the characters, and it is it's chewy. It's you know what I mean. It's it, there's mm-hmm. there's so much depth there. And with them, when you can, if you want, you can just enjoy the nice melodies and the nice harmonies. Or alternatively, you can dive down into the instrumentation and the tuning and the fact that they were doing things that had never been done before. Even, like, two examples just off the top of my head. That that chord at the beginning of A Hard Day's Night. Yeah. Which, if you try and play it on the guitar, is, I think, like, if you, I mean, you cannot play it on just one guitar. But I think it's like a G, it's a G7 sus with an 11 on it, if that means anything to you or the listeners. But <laughs> yeah. you can you can watch long, tedious, nerdy videos about them going, well, actually, that's what George was doing on a 12 string, but Paul was doing this on the bass, and George was doing this on the other guitar. And so they built up this juicy chord. Um, or the fact that Ringo was a left-handed drummer playing a right-handed drum kit. So no yeah. one on earth can sound like Ringo, really. Um, and well, you can be a lefty playing on a right-handed drum kit, but very few people were doing it at the time. And there's and there's and so a, a thing that a, a mate reminded me of yesterday. Um, I am the Walrus was written in response to John Lennon's own school started doing textual analysis on his lyrics to find the meaning in them. So he thought, I'm going to write the biggest old load of nonsense that's ever been written just to wind them up. And oh really? Yeah, and it has the lyric. Uh, was it Semolina Pilchard climbing up the Eiffel Tower? Yeah, it's just silly. It's just silly. Yeah. Uh, let's say amazingly, no one's ever listened to the Beatles before. Who? Um, which album or which track would you direct them to first? What would be the best place for them to start? Christ Almighty. Um, so what I'd say, if you've, I, I, I'm going to give you two different things because the. the the interesting thing with the Beatles is because their singles were never on, almost never on their albums, it's quite lovely because you can discover all their albums and go, Christ, there's all this other stuff out there. But I would say mm-hmm. listen to listen to Past Masters Volume 1 because that has the singles. That has I Want to Hold Your Hand and Paperback Writer and, um, oh gosh, uh, Can't Buy Me Love and Please Please Me and stuff um stuff like that that most of those are not on the albums and mm-hmm. so those are the like ice pick between the eyes uh incredible pop and rock and roll and you're right it was bubblegum pop but and this is this is a phrase i'm stealing from i am the egg pod what had never mm-hmm. been done before was the h- intricate harmonies of someone like Smokey robinson but over mm-hmm. the top of a banging rock and roll group absolutely it's, it's motown and stacks harmonies but all the guys singing on Motown and Stax had orchestration behind them but the Beatles are doing the most impressive patting their head and rubbing their tummy at the same time that's a really amazing analogy for it because it's kind of a um yeah because I, I I'm a, I play guitar and bass uh, and a little bit of drums as well but like uh, equally I don't I, I'm not I'm quite a uh, 
I, I don't know the instrument. In, I'm not very good with like vocal melodies or know how it's stuff. Uh, but, but I, I accidentally watched a video of a nowhere man of the vocal harmonies and mm-hmm. like, like I just. I didn't really understand how harmonies worked. I just, it sounded nice, but also once I looked at the how it actually worked, it was like Jesus Christ! Just the the precision you need uh, from all three people at the same time, as well as doing the instruments. It was just it's so mind blowing as well. It's so uh, yeah. I just it's it's the co- collaboration cooperation is astounding. Yeah, they were, and they were, and that's the thing. It's not just that they were meant to be together vocally. They were meant to be together. The, the, the way that Paul and John so complement each other in their musical output and then drag George up by his bootlaces. Like, mm-hmm. the, for most of the first seven or eight albums, George barely gets a look in because he's, going, <laughs> because he's going up against the two greatest popular songwriters of all time. And then mm-hmm. finally, when he does, he, he comes out with Here Comes the Sun, which is, on Spotify, is the most downloaded tune. I love George Harrison so much. I think George, uh, his his uh, solo album, um, All Things uh, Come to Pass, I think it is, uh, is uh, just what it's it's one of the best. Uh, it's just what a phenomenal album it is. It's so uh, it's just perfect. It's so good. It's so beautiful. And with and the thing with George as well is that um, he's he's not a showy lead guitarist. He serves mm-hmm. the song. And yes. his, and it's always appropriate and it's always tasteful and it's, it's uniquely George and the Beatles. I mean, there's, there's certain Beatlesy chord changes that I just, I just don't get how they're so the Beatles. Um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're so the Beatles and yet also something new. And, the, and the, the, the genius of the Beatles as well is they will, in one song, they will essentially invent a genre or a band and then go, yeah, we're bored with that and we'll go off. Because the, <laughs> the, yeah. the, other, the other introductory album to listen to is Revolver, which is the album that came before Sgt. Pepper. And mm-hmm. Sgt. Pepper is an incredible work, but it's weighed down with the weight of greatest album of all time, which it isn't, but it's brilliant. And it's weighed down by all this Victoriana that I love, but I understand how people can get a bit, find a bit twee. Whereas... Revolver is almost every type of song you can imagine, and it, yeah. it, so it so it opens a song called Taxman, which basically yeah. inv- invents the jam. Like <laughs> you listen to the baseline on that, and Paul Weller's gone. Sweet, that's a career. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's got yeah. that. It's got backwards guitar solos. Uh, can you imagine any other band on earth having a children's song that is legitimately brilliant and references the Goon Show, and also with Tomorrow Never Knows, a song that invents the Chemical Brothers? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, not, since you framed it like that, it's really uh, yeah, it's uh, put another yeah, two uh, yeah, that's wonderful. So yeah, so that's that's. Um, I mean, I I don't want this to turn into just a Beatles podcast forever. Yes. Lies, I absolutely do, but <laughs> but um, so uh, yeah, so the Beatles are doing their kind of existential, uh, repetitive thing for the whole festival. Yep. Which uh, um, just at the end of it, they'll uh, just be like, "I'm really tired," and yeah. uh, <laughs> just yeah, j- just at the end of it, someone just shoots John, and he's like, "Ah, peace at last." <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, do you have any more stages or any other things for your Friday night? Or do you have a Friday night headline you want to share with us? 
Um, I'll what's it? I'll tell you about the Friday night headline, and then I'll tell you about some other stages. So yeah. I think, uh, in terms of headliners, it's it's got to be Prince. Oh it's, my God! Yes, mate. It's, it's got to be. He is a. He's the one that got away at Glastonbury. I think had he not passed away, I think they were going to ask him in the next year or two. Mm-hmm. And he's what astounds me about Prince is he has the, um, the 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 fret wanking genius of Hendrix with mm-hmm. the musical understanding of Stevie Wonder and yeah. the, the raunchiness of neither of them. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know a lot more about Beatles and Prince, to be honest. But also, what I love about Prince is that he plays all the instruments himself and records mm-hmm. it. Like he's, he's done that for all of his albums, and he started off when he's like, like what, like twenty, nineteen, something like that, and it's remarkable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it really is. And he's and I, I listened to um, a show. In fact, it was, it was Great Lives on Radio Four that Sindhu uh, V nominated Prince, and she said mm-hmm. two wonderful things about him. One that I didn't know he was actually really shy when he was young and when he first auditioned uh, to be on a record label they sort of had to squeeze the song out of him which mm-hmm. is not what you think of with Prince when you see on stage and the other thing and I'm gonna gonna not do this justice when I say it but she talks about as a Hindu there is a Hindu notion that there are people or beings in the world that are essentially there to be conduits for great force for great artistic power and she's mm-hmm. like that's Prince mate like I know, I know Hinduism's full of blue blokes with seventeen arms, but also, mm-hmm. like, pr- pr- I love the notion of musicians as conduits for this this force of music, and yeah. he's got a great ability to just play one note, and that note will do. Thank you very much. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's a really. Uh refreshing and very um it's a very novel point you make there what does prince mean to you ben and when when did you first realize that you enjoyed prince so with so with with the beatles i you know i thought they were nonsense until i was about 11 and then through these q magazines discovered them and mm-hmm. they meant something ever since prince has sort of grown on me and it's only the, like really it's all about purple rain and sign of the times for me um, those were the two albums that really got me into him, and um, it's it's. I'll be honest, he doesn't hit me emotionally as much as others. It's just what a showman he is. The two, yes. there's two things I cannot stop watching on YouTube. One is him playing at a tribute concert for George Harrison, where mm-hmm. there's him and Tom Petty and George Harrison's son and a couple of other huge musicians playing While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And it's Mm -hmm. good. It's fine. It plods along. And then Prince does the solo. And he shreds and he shreds and he shreds and he falls back into the audience while playing the guitar and they catch him and throw him back on. And he shreds. And you can see George's son in the background going, fucking hell, mate. That is something else. And then at the end of the solo, he just throws the guitar up into the air where it is apparently caught by God and goes, you won't be needing that anymore, mate, and puts it away. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, well done. Uh, yeah, yeah. it's the most astonishing showmanship. And then the other thing from him, and I only discovered this recently, he played the halftime show um, at the Super Bowl probably about 15 years ago now, which is obviously one of the most iconic things you can do in America. And it was in, I believe it was in Florida, 
and it was the first time ever that it had rained at the Super Bowl, and it didn't just rain, it hammered it down. Mm -hmm. And there's a wee documentary about it you can watch, and the full performance, and... His dancers were in eight-inch heels, not good with the rain. There was all yeah. this electrical equipment out, not good in the rain. And, you know, he's on this huge walkway that's in the shape of his print symbol. That's difficult. And by all reports, when he got told about the rain, his response was essentially, let it rain. Mm. Let it rain. It's almost as though I'd planned it. And imagine he plays this incredible set, opens with Let's Go Crazy, which has the most astonishing guitar solo at the end of it throws in a bit of all along the watchtower a bit of foo fighters he covers something else and then he ends with purple rain as all these people yeah. take the field there is a super bowl um like marching band playing along with him all the mm. lights are out and it's just it's honestly like prince is conducting the elements oh so my God. i remember growing up watching Radiohead at Glastonbury in 97 when it pissed it down and they, they owned it and I was always sad that I missed it but at, at Vanderfest it'll be a beautiful sunny day and then the I mean fuck it we're gonna be, let's be on a Pacific island, it's going to be tricky to get to but we'll find a way a Pacific, yes. a warm Pacific rain is going to come in and gush over Prince as he plays this set of bangers well, honestly, like uh, I think uh, whenever I've seen a band live and outside, rain can make it, like, a difference because it can it can make it really quite emotive and very uh, it 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 is a, as you say an elemental thing and like uh, I don't know what it is but it adds to the magic of the night. Sometimes it can be yeah. for the worse. Like uh, um, I remember on the Sunday uh, at a meta festival, just being so cold and wet, and that's not that's not nice. But when you're in the warmth of a crowd and it's at night time. It's such a, like a, a little bit of rain. Wow, it can really turn the tide of an actual festival. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So yeah, so Prince Prince is closing night number one. Brill. Um, so let's head to Saturday as well because we're we're gonna probably. <laughs> but yeah, so who do you have for your Saturday, Ben? Saturday. So opening up on the main stage, we're going to have the Count Basie Big Band. Oh so, wow, I've never heard of them before. Could you tell me a little bit about them? Oh, mate, Count Basie is one of the two great jazz band leaders of all time. He, mm -hmm. um, So you've heard of Duke Ellington, I assume? Yes, I have, yeah. So Duke Ellington, I mean, Duke Ellington is essentially the greatest American composer of the 20th century. He is mm. off the scale good, but Count Basie was, uh, I believe, the first album my dad ever bought, The Atomic Mr. Basie, with a picture of a massive mushroom cloud on, which seems, in, <laughs> A, inappropriate, and B, slightly metal. Uh, <laughs> but yeah real sort of like propulsive big band stuff like have you have you seen the film um oh god what's the one where jk simmons beats the shit out of the kid who's oh, a drummer whiplash. for two hours whiplash um but that sort of music just real sharp tight on the beat big band music and mm -hmm. count basie who is this I think Count Basie looks like the um, uh, the black cop in Die Hard. <laughs> he like he like he's, just if you're trying if you're trying to picture him, that's what he looks like. Alternatively, yeah. he appears in the film Blazing Saddles. 
Like okay. there's, a, there's there's a bit where the sheriff rides off into the sunset with a big band music playing, and the shot pans out, and it's just Count Basie big band. Wow. Um, okay. But Count Basie plays my favourite piano solos of all time, which is basically one note every sixteen bars, but it's the right note in the right place, and is real funky. Oh wow! Okay, tell you what, like the the way that you t- talk and discuss music that you love, um, as with a lot of guests we have here, but like with you, it's really uh, it's so uh, uh, magnetizing. You have a real way with uh, words on, on the subject. Then, well, thank you. If I if if I wasn't a, didn't get to be a musician, like maybe a music writer. <laughs> yeah. What what I'm essentially saying is that I'm living out my fourth or fifth dream uh in terms of the league table what i'm also saying is bbc radio 6 i am right here hey I'm... get behind me buddy this is what this podcast is all about <laughs> it's, it's, it's my, my, my turn in line baby uh no uh, uh but yeah absolutely um so uh, after count basie uh, who do you uh, have on your saturday oh after count basie um i think we're gonna have um Oh gosh, we're we're gonna keep things bouncing along. We'll have a bit of madness. Oh, that's that's nice. Yeah, yeah, madness. Uh, so you've really, I say you've uh, you do have an eclectic taste in this festival, like uh, with a bit of ska, uh, some early rock and roll, some uh, gypsy punk and uh, Prince, like and gospel as well. Like you kind of got it all. So uh, why madness? Madness. I mean, there there will well, there will be other reggae and ska at this festival, but uh, mm-hmm. Madness are one of the most fun bands I've ever been to see. I did. Um, they put on a music festival um, uh, at Butlin's Minehead, where they headline it, and they get loads of different soul funk whatever bands on, and uh, it was it was great. It's the, it's the biggest audience I've ever played to. Oh wow! And about seven, 800 people, and you go out and go, oh, fuck, they're skinheads. Oh, no, they're nice skinheads. It's all good. And because it's <laughs> and it's great because you go there in the evening and they're all skanking. They're dressed in their madness outfits, and it's, but they're all too old to skank, and it's quite something when you see someone wearing a pallbearer's hat and cricket bads hobbling along on crutches trying to skank. It's a wonderful thing. So they just... What I love about madness, um, which the Beatles have as well in places... They write really happy tunes, and it's really difficult to write happy songs. Absolutely. Like any 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 fucker can write the blues. I mean, not any fucker, but you, you know, it's. <laughs> but but having having a song which is a piss and a moan is much easier than writing something that is happy but not saccharine or mawkish. And yeah, absolutely. You, uh, it's not like yeah uh, to do something which is genuinely upbeat as opposed to being like hey we're feeling good and you know what i mean like you can sit you can sniff through the falsery do you know what i mean like yes you absolutely can so i think and and to continue that but what i love about them they've got they've got lots of happiness but also a bit like a slight bittersweet element to it so um uh like it like i mean it must be love it isn't their song uh it's a cover but that's happy just with a little bit of sweet hint or same with uh our house as well. No, oh no, I'm thinking of the Crosby, Stills and Nash. Our house, but fuck it, yeah. they can play. They can play both of those. Um, <laughs> both versions, uh, yeah. Yeah, and so after after that, I'd have Ben Folds Five, who <gasps> wow, cool, yeah, are a great band, and I'd and I'd 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 probably get them to just like uh, can their sad songs because obviously when when they go sad, they go heartbreakingly yeah. sad, but. Um, 
I remember going to see them. I went to, I went to go. I've seen them twice. Once I saw Ben Folds uh, doing a double bill with the Divine Comedy, and I love the Divine Comedy. But poor Neil Hannon, he was doing his best against a room that did not want to see him. And the second time I went to see Ben Folds, five was a reunion show, and I took my wife, and she really enjoyed them, and we stood right at the front, and at the end she was like, "You all knew the lyrics, like." 3,000 people knew all the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And it's, she was like, it was almost like a cult. Because I, I I adore music. I have terrible recall for lyrics. Like, yes. the, I, like, like, the, like the Beatles. I must have listened to Beatles songs thousands of times and I still forget them. But there's something about Ben Folds 5's lyrics that just lodge in my brain. Yeah, I think um, and it's kind of hard because I, I, I'm identical in that in that situation not with Ben Folds 5 but with certain bands they just I don't know what it is because like I emotionally connect with music that I love but also some bands just uh I think their lyrics just like stick in your head in a in a really poignant way as well like uh, mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite bands is Modest Mouse and uh, the reason I fell in love with them just I listened to a song called The View which is on their album Good News for People Who Love Bad News and I was listening to it as I was doing work uh, as a uni student and there was just this line that just stuck in my head I was like wow it just it's a opening of the eyes moment and it will stay with you forever and i like that yeah that's that's great i there's i mean the, it's not often i will listen to songs for lyrics like i do i do love great lyrical content because i love dylan um much as i love dylan he's not invited to the festival <laughs> no like Dil- like dylan is a genius he's one of my favorite musicians but whatever iteration of dylan turns up he will deliberately do something different to what you've booked him for and <laughs> We'll just yeah, he'll just yeah. tu- he'll just turn up and do like eighteen traditional Belarusian folk songs just because he can. Um, so I'm not interested in that. We're gonna have we're gonna have some good times. Um, but there's a great song I was listening to the other night, which is Death Cab for Cuties. Um, I will follow you into the dark, mm-hmm. which um, is it's essentially about um, if there is no heaven or hell. I will still follow you into death. So yeah, love of mine, someday you will die, but I'll be close behind and I'll follow you into the dark. No blinding light or tunnels of gates of white, just our hands clasped so tight, waiting for the hint of a spark. Wow. Yeah. It's like there, yeah, it's amazing. Um, there's, there's, there's another one. This is a band. Oh yeah. And I've just thought of two more stages. One stage, and this is a shout out to Tom Tuck for pointing me in the direction yeah. of this band, uh, the Mountain Goats, who are... Oh, yes, yeah. I don't know much of the Mountain Goats other than Tom Tuck worships the ground that they walk on. Yes. But um, there is a song of theirs called This Year. Which yes, I know that. It's another one, which again, it's three or four calls, but it's just so propulsive. And it has the... The, the, the chorus is, we're going to make it through this year if it kills me, which I've been listening to a lot in 2020. <laughs> yeah, that year, uh, that, that song gets more and more poignant every year that goes on. It's, uh, God, yeah. Um, and but, uh, so, yeah, the, the Mountain Goats will just be on a stage, uh, on a stage attached to a blimp circling Vanderfest playing that song. Yeah. 
Uh, that's less of a stage, more of a high concept and uh, yeah. a very costly idea. But to be fair, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't pull those strings when we had the Beatles reanimated and uh, and uh, uh, re- regurgitate every uh, every twenty four hours as well. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so what other stage do you have as well? So you have Mountain Goat stage um, slash Blimp. What other stage do you have? So two others. We're going to have, uh, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm making my musicians earn their keep. We're going to have a never-ending jam stage. Not in okay. the village fate sense, but basically we're just going to, we're just going to have a blues jam that like someone okay. sort of like, sort of like, you know, how during lockdown, everyone's been making sourdough and you've got like the starter dough that always has to be kept alive. So mm, yeah. there will be like a rhythm section that I assume is just going to be, uh, uh, John Bonham and, uh, John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin. And they're just, they're, they're used to playing for hours and hours and hours and not stopping. Mm-hmm. And we'll we'll occasionally sub them in for Keith Moon and John Entwistle, and they're just they're just going to be chugging along. And, nice. Um, it's it's just going to be a blues jam, and just people are going to come in and out. And obviously, we'll have like guitarists and that. But then any anyone with any different instrument uh, at the festival can just drop in, jam for ten minutes, and pop out again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got this. I I am not that well versed in the lazily named world music i mean having a world music section is like calling uh, uh black and asian people uh, ethnic minorities when if you look at the world they're very much in the majority yeah. but yeah um there's one there's one particular instrument which i love which is the kora which is um yes and yeah yeah it's an african harp with a sort of the the bass is like I imagine back in the day it might have been either something like a coconut or a or a shell, and it's got um, a spine going up out of it like a ship's mast, and then bunches of strings hanging down from it, and it's it's like a traditional European harp except that um, it, it's in tune with itself, so you or me could sit down with a cora and make it sound good, but when a master musician sits down with it, suddenly it's poly melodies and poly rhythms at the same time and it's like nothing else on earth. But I love this idea of it in the blues jam, chora players turn up and flute players turn up and 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 oud players turn up and or basically any any weird instrument that there is turns up, plays a bit of blues and then fucks off to their own stage. Right. Yeah, I I like that a lot. So it's kind of like a, a communal stage and Yeah. Uh, You've got some really awesome ideas here, and also, uh, uh, yeah, pl- plenty to kind of go and witness as well. It has that Glastonbury vibe where anything, a lot, lot, a lot of different things are happening. Yeah. But, um, so, how about your headliner for Saturday night? Who do you have for your final on Saturday? It's a tricky one, but I think it's one of my favourite things at Glastonbury is that they have um, a circus stage. Oh, not a circus yeah. stage, but a circus field. So, I think the headliner I'd like to incorporate the circus and i would like to have a a double headliner i'd like to have a double set um the first half is outcast and the second half is kiss oh wow my god that's now that's a combination and i've never seen coming in my life outcast and kiss (laughs) so can you tell us more about this because there's got to be some some kind of thinking behind this madness I, lo- I love them both. Um, I love them too, out- by the way. <laughs> um, well, like Outcast. So I remember buying, uh, like a lot of people, uh, lo- uh, lo- Speaker Box and The Love Below. Mm-hmm. I have got more and more into hip hop the older I've got and the more that I've 
come to understand it and realize what an enormous fertile world it is but that was one of my introductions to it and i it is the only time when i put the love below in where i've put a cd in and then three tracks in taken it out and gone they must have put the wrong cd in with this box because <laughs> uh, yeah. this is i this is not this 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 can't be what i think it is and then as i've got older and appreciated hip hop more like just what an incredibly inventive and smart album speaker boxes and uh, big boy doesn't get enough credit i don't think for his inventiveness because he's a less flamboyant character than um, andre 3000 but i just think that for their aesthetic for so many of their albums m- matches the circus and i could just mm-hmm. see outcast w- with all of their production they bring in so many different original collaborators and uh, musical instruments and production values that I think the aesthetic of a circus would really suit them. And... Yeah. What a thing to witness as well. Like, Because there's one thing seen musically love, but as well as a circus as well, crazy. Yeah, exactly. And then just on the flip side of it, because, you know, I, I like the idea of slamming together all different sorts of music. I like the idea of them sampling Kiss on a track and then suddenly pff, Kiss bursting out of there. And um, again, they I bring them back to a, a, they're a Kiss or a band. Me and my wife went to see. We saw them yeah. at um, the O2 uh, Arena in Greenwich. And I mean, fuck me if they aren't a bunch of old, terrible, crusty Republicans in bad black and white makeup that's a little bit yeah. cringy. But fuck, they put on a show. I'd like to see it go from mad, technical, a hip-hop circus to cheesy, fun metal circus. Because, yeah, like, uh, I, I remember in 2010, I was about 15 years old, I saw, um, yeah, I saw uh, Kiss Live and uh, in Newcastle, uh, Newcastle Arena, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, wow, just like, it blew my mind, like, because, like, that, I hadn't seen tons of gigs at that point, but enough gigs, and I was just instantly wowed, I was just like, because it was just like, I've never seen the show like it before. It was one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. And like, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, obviously, uh, when you're that young, uh, the, the cheesiness is more, uh, you don't see the cheesiness as much. It's like, wow, this, you take it far more earnestly, I would say. And I did take <laughs> it quite earnestly. Um, I did have my face painted and put with braces on. And it's a very awkward picture. Not awkward, a very, a very uh, sweet picture. But like, it's uh, uh, no ladies fancied me. Um, but like, uh, uh, but yeah, but with Kiss, I I think they're they're good. But as you say, Kiss are kind of problematic for me now. Do you know what I mean? Because I do love them; they are great. But my goodness, like, uh, like if if you go through their back catalog, there are some creepy songs. Uh, there's a oh. song off uh, that I think it's the Destroyer album, or which is a uh, I'm oh, not Destroyer; it's on a, a different album. But like, it's uh it's the second song's called Christine Sixteen, which I, you don't I don't need to tell you what it's about, but it's not good. It's really not oh. good. Dear. Yeah. I, yeah, right. Yeah, I um yeah, I mean the thing is you know, the Beatles, the Stones have a lot some very poor attitudes towards young women in their songs that you yeah. I, I I how can I put it? You can maybe forgive it in the fifties and sixties, going, well, you know, different times, different times. But by the time um uh Kiss came along in the seventies, it's like, ah, come on now. Come on, <laughs> yeah. Gene, you should know better. Yeah, it's and also like uh, imagine being a rock star called Gene. That's that's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> it's I mean that shows the extreme power of his charisma. 
Yes, and he's absolutely. able to love. The other thing I love about Gene Simmons used to be a rabbi. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't know that. Um, but yeah, what what two amazing headliners plus circus as well? You do have to be careful with Kiss's pyrotechnics with uh, the lions, but uh, all, <laughs> all, all that aside, cracking show. Yeah. And I think we should uh, let's let's do your Sunday as well. So who do you have for your Sunday? So uh, I think for o- opening, um, I think like Sunday, we've had a big night. We've had a big, big night. We've we've taken a lot of hallucinogenics to enjoy uh, Outcast, and then we've snorted some cocaine off the neck of uh, Gene Simmons' guitar. So um, <laughs> we we we, get, we're getting, we had a hell of an after party. So something a little bit gentle. So um, I think we're going to have another collaboration this time. And uh, it's going to be a collaboration between um, Bjork with Claude with Claude Debussy on the piano, and just sort of like real gentle Sunday morning chill out, but with some nice yeah. inventive Bjork Martian bleepy bloopy bits. <laughs> that sounds that does sound like a bit like a fever dream but uh, what a, what a good way to wake up like you're hung over and uh just kind of saying some like i do love a sunday because like you just like you you're very hung over and tired but also you still want to have a nice time so if you saw some like that you'd be like this is perfect but also i don't know what's happening <laughs> yeah I, I remember i remember uh being um being drunk and hung over uh for um one of the days and download in 2018 i went to go and see body count who i didn't really know at the time but um it's uh, ice t is the front man of the metal band body count and uh they're actually really good but also i went there i turned up i was just expecting ice t to do his thing but it wasn't it was a, a metal show and he's he starting off with raining blood by slayer and i was like he just stood there hung over just like i don't know what's happening i don't know why i'm watching this <laughs> i mean that's the kind of vibe uh, i think that gives off yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, and I like, I, I like. Um, one of my favorite things is just odd cover versions. And the beautiful thing with the live settings, you can be like, never mind the cover version. Let's just stick the two artists together and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, I think that'd be uh, a nice thing to watch. Um, and uh, after after that fantastic uh, coupling, who? Do well, you after have? that, I do love the way that um, over the years, Glastonbury has developed the legend slot in the middle mm-hmm. of a Sunday afternoon. With you know, they've had the the Bee Gees and Dolly Parton, Tony Bennett. There can only be one woman who does this, and it's Ella Fitzgerald, and it's oh, going to be mate. just like. And you know what? Louis can be there as well. It's Ella, Ella and Louis sat down nice warm cup of chocolate hot chocolate and they're just taking requests i assume you mean louis theroux uh joining the <laughs> yeah it's ellie ella fitzgerald with louis theroux and some swingers in the background <laughs> i mean who wouldn't want to watch that it's amazing right? well yeah like louis turned up just going i heard there was some swing music and i oh i've got this horribly wrong <laughs> uh Sorry, I kind of hijacked that there. So, but, no, uh, yeah. it's fine. Um, and she, because I mean, again, it's my dad brought me up listening to her. Ella is one of the few, uh, one of the people he first saw live when he was a kid, and he 
saw Ella Fitzgerald uh, multiple times. He, he tells me about seeing her at the Newcastle City Hall, where there are there's like there's orchestra steps on the stage where if there was room, you could go and sit on them. And Ella and Louis was there, and Louis Armstrong had a giant pile of handkerchiefs on the piano that he made his way through as the show went on, wiping the sweat from his brow. And um, my dad says that Ella Fitzgerald uh, spoke to him in between songs and just sort of looked down at him and went, "If you bought all my records, sugar." And my dad looked up and was like, yes, Miss Fitzgerald. Um, That's so, amazing. Yeah. I love that kind of intimacy as well. And it kind of yeah. shows, it, it says so much about the performer, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely is. Yeah, that's a leg- That's a legendary, legendary slot. Do you have any final acts for your Sunday as well? Yeah, well, I think we're gonna. I'm. I'm gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna build up. So I, I won't spend too much time on these. But to build up the party pace, um, we're gonna have um, a, a mega brass band. So I love um, the Hot Eights. I love Youngblood brass band, and I love Hackney Colliery brass band. Yeah. Um, and all, uh, like particularly Hackney Colliery's um, version of Africa is <laughs> yeah. off the scale good and strangely touching. Um, mm-hmm. But I I would have them combined as a mega brass band playing again all sorts like covers TV kids theme tunes the theme from Superman the theme from Grandstand like every everything and then yeah. they would hold the torch over to the Cat Empire yes Cat Empire and so I only found out about the Cat Empire today but you know when you just listen to a band and go. This is my vibe instantly. It's so good. Super positive, right? Yeah, super positive. They are what they're it's a bunch of Aussies, but I think there's quite a few of them are either Greek Aussies or, or Balkan Aussies. And so they've got a lot of soul and a lot of funk, but a lot of sort of Eastern European feel to their music again. Um, not as much as Gogol Bordello, but they just they know how to work a crowd and throw a party. If you don't know them, listeners, listen to a song called Hello. It's the sound of summer sunshine. Listen to the wine song. It's the greatest drinking song of all time. And um, the whole of that album is cracking. They're a band I saw at Shepherd's Bush where they literally had however many thousands of people in there, everyone arm in arm, swaying back and forth together in time to the music like we were all aboard a drunken pirate ship. It was wonderful. Uh, yeah, so Cat Empire is such a delightful thing to listen to. And as I say, you got those recommendations out there. Um, so is Cat Empire the penultimate band? or uh, it, who's, uh, Do you have a... It's a headliner next? Who is the, head, the final act? The, the headliner is going to be next. So in an ideal world, all of the stages were just before the headliner. Um, the, the, the loop that the Beatles are on, they wouldn't be finishing with Get Back just before the headliner. They'd be working up to a day in the life. And just yeah. at the moment that the Cat Empire have come to the end of the set, they would do those last 24 bars of a day in the life where everyone starts from the lowest note on their instrument and plays all the way up to the highest note. Um, and then, yeah. ba-bam, on the piano. And that would happen across all of the stages at the festival at the same time. And um, as, uh, as the ba-bam hits on the main stage out comes Lizzo. Oh my god, hello. That's yeah. what I, I wasn't surprised. You know what? We we've had a lot of upbeat uh vibes at this whole festival, especially in this day in particular. Um as Lizzo I Lizzo's been in my mind for the whole of this uh podcast episode to be fair. Um tell me why you've picked Lizzo to be a Sunday night headliner. That's wonderful. Well I always wonder um 
who's going to be the iconic musician of our generations? Who's going to be the people who look like, who you will be able to recognise by their silhouette, who have that um, sort of stage-straddling charisma where the minute they turn up, you can't take your eyes off them and they've got the voice and they've got the tunes. And I, th- mm. I, think, it's, I think it's her. She is um, so um, authentically herself. She has got astonishing flow when she raps. She has got a voice that's halfway between um, Ella and Aretha and Prince. Mm. And um, brilliantly, my two-year-old loves her. Um, Aww, he nice. will. He, it's great. But the, it, he'll go, "Daddy, Daddy, play the Juice song." And I haven't yet broken to him that when Lizzo is singing about Juice, she's she's not singing about <laughs> Robinson Squash. <laughs> oh, imagine being like, "Yeah, my favorite thing is Ribena." Thank you very yeah. much. Uh... <laughs> um, but I thought I thought we should end on someone who is is. Uh, takes so many elements of the past and plots a course for the future and she's someone who musically hasn't put a foot wrong and seems so sound I can't remember quite what it was but I saw a thing of I think she was touring in Australia when the bushfires were happening and so on a day off touring she was like right yellow fluorescent jacket on i'm getting down to one of the factories to help out with people who were i think she was packing boxes of food parcels for people who've been affected it was it was something like that but i yeah i really like that she i really admire anyone who can be a spangly superstar and be properly canny like the spirit of the festival is well, I think that's a wonderful way to finish off your festival. Uh, and uh, and Lizzo, as you say, I think she's um, she's a great act. And uh, to be fair, I don't really know too much of her. But as you say, I do know she's authentic. And I do know she's wonderful. I know she's inspirational to young people as well, uh, as well as older people as well, but like particularly young people. And it's, that's a really wonderful and positive thing to have to finish off your festival she's great she's got she's got a song called boys which has just the most uh propulsive beat behind it Mm -hmm. and um there are uh, there's uh, i mean i could talk about so many of the tunes there's a song called because i love you that uh opens her most latest album that Again, it's so modern, but has got a melody line in it that you could imagine being sung by Betty Boop. But it's like <laughs> Betty Boop with the filthiest brass and bass behind her. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's a really nice way of putting it. It's time to head to our final part of our podcast where we talk about and how we deal with floor fillers. Okay. As with event management, things are bound to go wrong. Here are a couple of hypothetical questions that Ben has to deal with in a manner that he sees fit. First one, Ben. Oh no, Prince has cancelled last minute. Who do you get to replace him? Jimi Hendrix. Oh, that's spicy, but it's good. Yes, great. Um, why, why, why Jimi Hendrix? 
Oh, well, sorry, I just thought, if, if, we're, if we're dredging someone up from the past, what, I mean, Matthew, you don't ever have to ask a question like, why Jimi Hendrix? Because the answer is, because, because Jimi Hendrix. I knew you were actually going to tell me off that because you used my yeah. full name, Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> um, if, if we're going to go to the past, Jimi Hendrix, if we're going to go to the present, Janelle Monet. Oh, both strong and both vibes with Prince as well. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, wonderful answer. Uh, question number two. Oh dear, someone's running late and you need to fill for time. Fortunately, one of your favorite celebrities is willing to do a DJ set for you. They don't need to be a DJ, but which celebrity would you pick to do a DJ set? <laughs> oh gosh. Who would I go for? Bill Bailey. <laughs> yes, that's a strong choice. That's good. Um, I've actually seen Bill Bailey live at Sonosphere and uh, right before Metallica. Really, really funny. Um, so uh, one of your acts has forgotten all of their equipment, but good news, they can do their set as an acoustic set. Which band of all the ones you have would you choose to do an acoustic set? Hmm. I think that... That's a really good question. Do you know what? I'd like to watch the Beatles do an acoustic set, but I'd like to watch them do it on like pots and pans. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I would like Beatles to do their songs, but a stomp. That's exactly yeah. right. <laughs> Imagine Eleanor Rigby like ding, 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 ding. ding. Yeah, like, um... yeah, Eleanor Rigby played on the spatula in the spaghetti winder. <laughs> um, so penultimate question. Outcast and Kiss hate each other's guts. They say they won't perform if the other band is performing. Uh, who would you pick out of the two? Outcast. <laughs> would you not even try and negotiate trying to get Kiss back on band? Uh, back. What would you say to Kiss? Um, you'll be hearing from my lawyers. <laughs> and uh, finally... Your festival loves you, Ben, and they want you to sing one song at your festival. If you had to pick one song to join uh, an artist with to get on stage and sing, which one would you pick? Oh, my word. I mean, this goes it goes against the answer that I've just given. But I'd be like, Gene, 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 come back. Can we do God Goes Rock and Roll to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, uh, you know what? I don't need the rest of you, but just, just uh, I'll, I'll do this one. In fact, you can fill yeah. in. For yeah. Oh well, that's a that's a. Um, why did you pick that song? Because it's quite a emotive song, quite a big rock song. Oh yeah, I mean it's 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 a big. Um, uh, how, how can we put it? It's it's a song drawn in crayon. Um, it, <laughs> well, it's from it's from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, uh, which, along with the film before that, was one of the most formative influences on me as a child. Mm -hmm. I, 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 you know, it is absolute comic book stuff and nonsense but to an eight-year-old ben the notion that one rock and roll song could unify the world um really appealed to me it yeah. is it's a it's a really childish view of everything and you know i have very romantic and sentimental views about the the true power of music but this distills it in a very comic book way that i find very appealing that's really sweet. And what a perfect way to finish off this podcast episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Ben. It's been a, what a wonderful uh, uh, discussion and recording. Mate, it's been, you're very welcome. Can I uh, 
quickly plug something before yes. I toddle off. You, 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 you just, uh, you just beat me to the post there, Ben. How can people find you online? And can you plug away, please? Um, so the places to find me are uh, on Twitter. You can find me at Ben Vanderveld. Um, but the two things I'd like to plug, as Matt mentioned, I have a podcast called Worst Foot Forward, sort of a cross between QI and Room 101, where me and my co-host Barry McStay introduce guests as diverse as pro wrestling promoters, magicians, scientists, psychologists, therapists, actors, comedians, and sports commentators about the worst world's worst thing on that particular topic um uh, my special fable maker has just um dropped on next up comedy really so if you go to nextupcomedy.com slash ben vanderveld you can watch my show fable maker which is uh, a completely improvised show where i build a story up using crowd work with the audience um and, and if you sign up to it using that link then I get some money to feed my child. And uh, what an amazing show it is and an amazing podcast. Uh, Ben's incredibly talented. Thanks, man. Please go and check that out. But also, if you'd like what we do, please follow me at Castable Podcast on Twitter. Uh, you can also send us an email at castablepodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow me at Matt Hoss Comedy on all the platforms, every single one. You name it, I'm on it. Um, not that one. but uh, And please give a massive thank you to my wonderful guest, Mr. Ben Vanderveld. You're very welcome. This is hold music. My dad loves this. Bum, 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 bum. 